Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would get your Bibles out and open them up to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, that's where we're going to begin momentarily. Going to read one verse there in just a moment that will help to uh, set up everything that we're going to talk about tonight. Lots of Bible tonight, so you want to get those Bibles cranking and working in the Word of God over the course of these next few minutes together. And as you're turning to 2 Peter chapter 3, I will just say what a... Just a great opportunity and what a privilege it is to be able to stand before you once again this evening at the close of just another beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, Man, the Lord's just blessed us with just some wonderful and fine weather as we segue from summer to fall. And uh, I'm just appreciative of that. And I trust that you've had a good afternoon. And I hope that you're ready right now to focus your mind and focus your heart on the Word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, let's read together here in verse 13 as Peter kind of is concluding some thoughts here in 2 Peter 3 and in verse 13. He says this, he says, But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That passage talks about heaven, and we like to talk about heaven, and we like to think about heaven. And you should know that not only do we as grown-ups and adults like to think about heaven, but kids like to think about heaven. Several years ago, I was given this book. I actually was given this book before Tiffany and I even had kids, and so I'm not really sure what this person was giving me the book for, but I'm glad that I have it now because the book is called Kids Talk About Heaven. And in this little book, the subtitle is How You Get There and How You Don't, but in this book is just a series of statements and a collection of thoughts of little children and what they're thinking about as it pertains to heaven. I thought I'd just share a few of those with you. So for example, here was one early on in the book from a little boy named Nicholas. He said, anybody can get into heaven. You don't have to be important or famous or rich. You can even be dumb. But you have to be good, and that's up to you, Nicholas. I think he's kind of on to something there. Some good ideas there about heaven from Nicholas. What about this one? Here's a little boy named Chris. I really like this. He says, only your soul goes to heaven. They're not interested in the rest of you. Uh, (laughs) There's something about, there's some measure of truth to that. Uh, Here's one from a little boy named Walter. And Walter actually has really good penmanship. Walter said, you can't get to heaven unless you're dead. And even then it's hard to get in. They ask you a lot of questions at the gate, but they already know the answers, so so you better tell the truth, Walter. Eh, I, I like the way his mind is working there. I really love this one from a little girl named Tanya. She said, when you get to heaven, you have a life of bliss. I'm not sure what bliss is, but it's got to be good, Tanya. There's some great ideas there. Here's a little girl named Julia. She said, I like the idea of heaven, but I'm not in any hurry to get there. Julia, I think lots of youngsters kind of feel that same way about heaven. Uh, A little boy named Jackson, not our Jackson, but another Jackson asked, do kids in heaven get to stay with other kids or do they have to stay with the grown-ups? Uh, that's a really thoughtful question because I know in heaven I don't want to be around all the stuffy and grumpy grown-ups. I like being around some kids who like to have some fun. Here's a question that a kid asked about, about the height of heaven. In heaven, how high up is it? Because, well, because sometimes my nose bleeds, Tim. I think Tim is on to something there. Here's one more I'll share with you. A little boy named Benji. He said, heaven, where you go, is called the hereafter. 
But it's not here, and it happens after. That little boy is really on to something. Kids are thinking about heaven. And sometimes those thoughts are funny. Sometimes those thoughts are very introspective. Sometimes those thoughts are very tender, maybe even make us want to cry a little bit. But make no mistake, kids are thinking. And as those illustrations kind of show us, kids need a little bit of help. They need a little bit of direction in how they think about heaven. And of course, that's where we as adults, as parents and as grandparents and aunts and uncles and people who have influence on children, that's where we come into the picture. Because one of our jobs is to help guide and mold our children's thinking so that they think correctly about spiritual things. And this evening, I want to help us to be able to help them to think about heaven and to think about it in a right and biblical way. I want us to talk this evening about how we can try to explain heaven to our kids in concepts and in ways that they'll be able to grasp. And I do realize that that is kind of a tall order because there are some things about heaven that are difficult, that are difficult even for us as adults to grasp, yes? You know, if somebody has a really easy way to explain eternity timelessness and to kind of dumb that down even for this grown adult, then I'd be more than glad to hear that. I could use some help in that direction. All of us understand that heaven is not the easiest subject to speak about. But while we recognize that there are some things about heaven that are hard to explain, there are lots of other things that we do know and we do understand and we can talk about. And so what we want to do as adults and as parents is we want to push aside all of the fairy tales. We want to push aside all of the caricatures of heaven that are so prevalent in our world today. And what we need to do is we want to understand what the Bible says about heaven and then we want to find the very best way to articulate that to young and impressionable minds. Because what our hope is, is our hope is that they will be able to grasp the greatness and the grandness and the wonder of heaven so that one day they will want to go there. Indeed, as our opening passage said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 13, we want our children to look forward to heaven. And we want to talk about some things that will help them to look forward to heaven. This evening I want to set before you three ideas just right out of the Word of God, three basic truths about heaven that first of all we need to understand so that we can then impart to our children. You ready for that? Number one, the very first thing that we want to do when we talk to our kids about heaven is we want to talk to them about the fact that heaven is a real place. If you were to ask most children to draw a picture of heaven, in fact, if you were to ask most adults to draw a picture of heaven, what are you going to get? Well, you're probably going to get something like this. You're going to get a picture of clouds and people sitting on clouds and holding harps and maybe even having wings and a halo above their head. That apparently is the official picture of heaven in many people's minds. Well, well, why do we do that? Why do we think in that direction? Why is heaven all about clouds to us? Well, maybe some of that is because of the fact that Jesus looked up 
whenever he was praying, do you remember in Matthew 14 and in verse 19, when Jesus was feeding the 5,000 before he blessed the food, or as he was blessing the food, he looked up into heaven, and that's how he prayed. So there you go, Jesus looked up, and so I guess in some sense it is appropriate for us to think in heaven in those terms. We think furthermore about Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus, as he was leaving this earth, he ascended, he ascended up, didn't he, into heaven. So there's this upward and skyward imagery that I think works on some levels. But unfortunately, what that's come to mean for a lot of people is that heaven is really just the equivalent of standing around on a cloud. And as a result of that kind of thinking, heaven just doesn't really seem like a very real place. Instead, heaven seems like this imaginary, unreal, phantasmic mirage. It just kind of almost seems like it's made up. Well, we've got to do better than that. We've got to tell our kids what the Bible says about heaven, and that is that heaven is a real, genuine place. We started with that verse in 2 Peter. Let's add to that. That verse that we read in 2 Peter talks about the new heavens and the new earth. That is a place that's being identified. It's real. It is some place that you can go to. Furthermore, look in Revelation 21. In Revelation chapter 21, instead of heaven being described as a bunch of water vapors and standing around on clouds, we're told in Revelation 21, look in verse 10. In Revelation 21 and in verse 10, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. And He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Do you see there that heaven is referred to a couple different terms as a mountain? It's referred to as well as a city? Look furthermore with me in John. In John the 14th chapter, Jesus talks about heaven. And look at how Jesus describes heaven as a real place. Puts that in some terminology that I think probably we can really grasp onto. In John 14... This is verse 1. In John 14, verse 1, Jesus said to the disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus says that heaven is His Father's house. And it has many rooms in it. How about that? That really, we have a house. You, you live in a house. We understand about a house that has rooms in it. That's a real tangible place. Can we go back to Revelation now? Look in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, this is the letter that the Lord sends to the church at Ephesus. And he says this in Revelation 2 and in verse 7. Revelation 2 verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Paradise. That's a portrait there of a kind of a beautiful garden, the kind of place that we can start to envision in our minds the beauty of that. Let me add one more in this connection. Look at Hebrews 11. In Hebrews the 11th chapter, Dad preached last uh, uh, Sunday uh, evening on faith and walking by faith. And he spent a considerable amount of time here in Hebrews chapter 11. And this is probably my favorite description of heaven. As the Hebrew writer speaks here of all these great heroes of faith, people who walked and lived by faith, he says in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better 
country that is a heavenly one. A country. Now that's something that's real, isn't it? That's a real place. Now, maybe right here is a good place for me to just kind of interject something and say something about how in this real place we will have real bodies. That we will not, as is so commonly thought, we will not be ghosts. I don't know where that idea ever came from. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks here about the resurrection and what we can look forward to at the time of the resurrection. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, look in verse 44. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 44, he says there, he says, It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, I don't know everything about that body, but Paul says we are going to be given a spiritual body. And maybe this is as well a good place for me to interject that we will not, we will not become angels. That's a common misconception as well. Grandma passed away. She didn't become an angel. She didn't. She wasn't given wings and a halo and all the other angelic features. No, angels are an entirely different class of being. Read Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. You don't become an angel. Angels were created to serve us. They are ministering spirits. They serve us and help us in order to get to heaven so that we can be with them in heaven. We will be given our own spiritual body so that we can then live in that real place. Now, naturally, as we start talking about those sorts of things with our children, we want to know more and they're going to want to know more. We all want to know more about that. And of course, we can't, we can't comprehend everything that we'd like to know. We're, we're not ready. Our, our, our brains are not ready to process spiritual bodies and spiritual countries. The Bible just uses that terminology to give us something to, to kind of latch on to a little bit. For example, let's see if we can maybe think about it this way. Think about maybe some ants down on the ground. And these ants come to an airport. And they see people coming through the terminal of the airport. And they then see those people walking up and getting into the airplane. And then the airplane starts to lift up and to take off and it flies away. What would the ants maybe say about that? Well, maybe what an ant would say about that is, Wow! We saw this giant silver bird and it had big wings. And it ate all these people and then it flew away. Well, sort of. Yeah, from an ant's perspective, yeah, that's, that's about as good as ants can do in explaining that. And the same goes for us as we attempt to describe heaven. From our small and limited perspective, we're going to have some troubles with that. We're human. We're all about the physical. We're all about things that are finite, things that we can touch. And there's no doubt that heaven is going to be very different in some ways. In fact, if you're still there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what you'll see there is that the Corinthian brethren, they were having trouble with this stuff about, about a spiritual body. And so Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, look back in verse 37, Paul says there, he says, What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. 
But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. Drop down to verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. The analogy here is to a seed. Nobody looks at a watermelon seed. If you've never seen a watermelon before, nobody looks at a watermelon seed and says, Oh, well, I'll tell you exactly what that's going to look like. That as soon as you put that into the ground and you water it and do all the things that need to be done to it, when it's full grown, what it's going to look like is it's going to look like this big, gigantic, round thing. You know, a hundred times the size of the seed. And it's going to be green and it's going to have stripes on it. And it's going to have a squishy red center and it's going to have little black seeds all through it. I, I can tell just from looking at that little seed. No, you, you can't tell that. And in much the same way, as I'm looking at this seed that's labeled a spiritual body, I'm not entirely sure what that's going to be like. But it seems to me the Bible is saying that there is going to be at least some correspondence between what we have now and what we're going to have then. In that regard then, maybe the term that can really help us is that term from Hebrews chapter 11, country. Country. I... I really like that idea. Thinking about heaven as a country. You know, I've never been to Australia. And I'm sure that Australia is very, very different from Kentucky. I don't think we have koala bears just hanging out in the trees here in Kentucky like they do in Australia. That's really, really different. But you know what? The fact that I have never been to Australia doesn't mean that Australia isn't real. And the fact that it's really different from the place that I'm familiar with, again, that doesn't mean that, it's, that it doesn't exist or that that means it's, it's ghostly in some way or you got a bunch of people that are kind of see-through and they're standing around on clouds. No. So what we want to say to our children is, is one day, one day we're going to move to a new country. We are. One day we're going to a new place a new country, and it is very, very real. It's as real as Kentucky or Australia or any other place that you can point to on a map. And you know what? You will really be you in that heavenly country. And maybe one of the things that we want to say about heaven and about that country is that it's just going to be beautiful. It will. It's just going to be amazing. Look in Revelation chapter 21 again. Notice the language. John really stretches the human language to, I mean, just as far as he can take it to try and describe the beauty of heaven. And so he does in Revelation 21 and in verse 1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw that holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When you go to a wedding, what's the big moment? You know what the big moment is at the wedding. It's when the music plays and everybody stands up and they turn and they look to the back and those doors swing open and there she is, the bride. And she makes her entrance. 
And in that moment, everybody in the audience just gushes over her. Ooh, oh, wow, she's so beautiful. And you know what? That's the picture of heaven, John says. In fact, if you keep on reading through Revelation chapter 21, it speaks even more of the precious stones and the amazing way that all of that is fitted and put together. Heaven is God's home. And one day it can be our home too. And we want our kids to know about that. We want them to know what an amazing and awesome place that heaven is going to be. Eventually though, you know what I know, our kids are going to start asking, well, well, what are we going to do there? Everybody at some point entertains that thought, don't they? And especially kids, okay? Heaven sounds great. What are we going to do there? And we all know the stock answer to that question, don't we? Well, in heaven, we're going to sing and worship God for all eternity. Well, when you're seven and most of your experiences with church involve you being drug out to the back and getting your rear in, administered some discipline to it, and then somebody comes along and says, oh, heaven's going to be this endless church service. Eh, heaven doesn't sound all that great to a seven-year-old mind. Heaven doesn't seem all that amazing when you put it that way. Well, is there going to be worship in heaven? Absolutely there is. There's no doubt about that. Many of the scenes in Revelation talk about assembling around the throne of God and singing His praises throughout the ages of the ages. There will be worship in heaven and it'll be great. It'll be awesome worship. I don't think that's the only thing we're going to do in heaven. Look, for example, in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, here's maybe a little bit different angle on what we'll be doing in heaven. In Revelation 19, look in verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see that there? The picture of heaven right here is that it is a celebration. It's a celebration dinner. It's a big feast, a joyful feast of gathering. You know, Do you like going to potlucks? I do. Do you like going and getting to be with, with other people, like-minded people and enjoying their company? I do too. Well, there's going to be some of that in heaven. I like the sound of that. I think your kids would like the sound of that. That heaven will be a place of great rejoicing. This Kind of this reunion, a family reunion where there will be celebrating and joy. And we want to be careful about that. I understand that. We don't want to give the impression that in heaven you just get to play all the time. You're going to play Xbox in heaven for eternity. Or you're going to go hunting and fishing and golfing and oh, I get a hole in one every single time. That's, that's not really an accurate picture of heaven. That's not what heaven is mainly about. What we want to emphasize to our kids though, secondly, as we think about the big ideas about heaven, is we want to emphasize to them that heaven is wonderful and beautiful and awesome because, because God is there. That is the central truth about heaven that is repeated again and again and again throughout Scripture. That in heaven, we're going to be with the Lord. If you're still in Revelation, go back to chapter 21 again. We just read that verse a moment ago about the bride being adorned for her husband. Look at the next verse, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell 
with them. And they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. We get to be with the Lord. That, that is what makes heaven so great. In fact, if you took away all the other stuff, all the beautiful stones and the beauty of heaven and the big feast imagery, if you took all that away from heaven and God was still there, I'd still want to go. I'm not going for the other stuff. I'm going because I want to be with my Father. We get to do in heaven the very thing that we were created for. And that is to dwell with our Father who created us and who loves us so very much. Jesus makes that point in John 14. Would you go back to John 14? We read earlier there in verses 1 and 2 where Jesus says, In His Father's house are many rooms, and He's gone to prepare a place for us. Okay, that's good. What about the very next verse? John 14 verse 3. John 14, verse 3, here's where the emphasis is. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That. That's what heaven is about. And I say all of this and I emphasize this because I'm afraid that sometimes we make heaven about the wrong thing. We think of heaven maybe as just this big retirement home and we get to go up there and we get to relax and we get to do all this leisurely and fun stuff. Sometimes we get all caught up on the idea of heaven as the the mansion over the hilltop. I want a gold one that's silver lined. That's not it. That is not what heaven is about. Heaven primarily is about being with the Lord. And I want to tell you, that's way more exciting than playing Xbox for eternity or fishing or hunting or golfing, isn't it? You think about it. Think about what that's going to be like to be with God. First and foremost, God made everything. You know, we will go and we will sit and we will watch and be entertained by magicians who make stuff disappear and then they make it reappear and we'll be entertained by that for hours on end. What's it going to be like when we are in the presence of the one who created by just the power of his voice the heavens and the earth and everything that exists simply by his word? What's it going to be like when we're with him? What's it going to be like to get to watch God work? And with God, it's not a trick like it is with magicians. No, it's the real deal. It's the real thing. He is the maker of everything. And furthermore... Think about the fact that God knows everything. There isn't anything that God doesn't know. God, for example, knows all about history. You know, I'm always curious, whatever happened to the lost city of Atlantis? Was it actually lost? And if it was, how do you lose a whole city? God, maybe you can explain that to us. God knows as well all about nature. All kinds of stuff about nature I'm curious about. I'm curious to know about Bigfoot. Was there really a Bigfoot? Did you make such a species known as a Sasquatch? Well, God knows that. He knows the answers to all of that kind of stuff. In heaven, we'll have the opportunity to be with God and we'll get to hear and we'll get to learn all of that directly from the source. That's incredible. There has never been anyone as interesting or as amazing, or as intelligent, or as powerful as God. And in heaven, we will literally, we will literally be by His side. We get to be with the Lord.
You know, the reason that it gets really quiet when we talk about being with the Lord, the reason that we just kind of lean in a little closer and we give a little bit extra careful attention when we contemplate the idea of being with God is because deep down in our heart of hearts, that is what we want. It is. It is what we were made for. And that's what we need to tell our kids. We need to say to our kids, hey, if you could invite anyone to dinner, I mean anybody who's ever lived anywhere, anytime, past, present, or future, anybody at all, who would you invite? Maybe they would tell you that they would invite some famous person, some celebrity, some musician, or an athlete. All right, you, you get to go to dinner with anybody in the whole world. Do you know through the course of that dinner and through the course of that evening, do you know eventually what you would find out in the presence of being of that person? Eventually you would find out that there is something about that other person that you don't really like. Maybe I want to go have a dinner with LeBron James. Okay, LeBron James, lots of cool stuff about LeBron James. You spend enough time with LeBron James, you're going to figure out, hey, there's some stuff about him I don't really like. And you know what? Regardless of how good that dinner was, maybe the whole evening goes by and you don't really learn anything that, that wasn't all that great about LeBron James. Eventually, eventually you're going to have to say, ah, oh, it's getting late. I have to go home and you have to go where you've got to go. We've got to part. But think about in heaven. In heaven, you will never, ever find out something about the Father or the Son, or the Spirit that you don't like. And furthermore, you don't have to worry that they're going to find out something about you that they don't like. Because God knows everything about you already and He loves you anyway. He's invited you to come. And furthermore, that amazing and wonderful opportunity to get to be with God, you'll never have to look down at your watch and say, Ah, time's up. No. You'll never run out of time. We just get to keep being with the Lord. We get to know Him better. We get to watch Him work. We get to be around Him. We get to be with God every single day, if there even is such a thing as days in heaven. I don't care who you'd invite to that dinner. It would never compare to being with God. And heaven is wonderful because that's where God is. And we need to reiterate that to our children. Again, I'll say, I'm afraid we don't say that enough. We emphasize all these other things. We emphasize some of the blessings of heaven, that it's going to be this place of rest, or that there is going to be enjoyment, the, the family reunion, getting to be with all the other Christians and all the other saved people, and how neat that's going to be. But I'm going to tell you, what makes heaven so special is the fact that our Father's there. Which leads right into this final and third idea this evening that I want to share with you that we want to stress to our children as we help them to think about heaven in a right way. And that is that heaven, heaven is just all good all of the time. One of the ways I think that we can help our kids to understand this final important truth is maybe by talking to them about the things that heaven is not. You know, we may not understand everything about heaven, but there are some things that God has specifically said will not be in heaven. And so, for example, look in Revelation again, in Revelation 7. In Revelation chapter 7, we actually get kind of a list 
of the things, some of the things that you're not going to find in heaven. And so in Revelation 7, look with me in verse 14. In Revelation 7 and in verse 14, I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Notice now. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's pretty powerful language, isn't it? Those words are so comforting to us. Let me add to that what's said in chapter 21. Go back to Revelation 21 one more time. In Revelation chapter 21, pick up toward the end. Revelation 21, look in verse 22. John says, And I saw no temple in that city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verse 1 now. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3 now. No longer... Will there be anything accursed? But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What wonderful and reassuring words those are. Can I highlight just a couple of things, some things that we want to express to our kids to help them understand that heaven's all good all the time? Here's some things that you don't have to think about in heaven. For example, there'll be no reason to be afraid of anything ever again in heaven. You know, children today have so much to be afraid of. It absolutely breaks my heart to know that kids today have to be worried about things like stranger danger. They have to know how to be able to call 911 for help. We have to try to explain to them why there's metal detectors in their schools. What kind of a world are we living in? Actually, I know what kind of world we're living in. We're living in a fallen world. A world that has been stained by sin. A world where terribly wicked and evil people, oftentimes they prey on the weak and the helpless. And who in our society is more weak and more helpless than children? But not in heaven. Not going to have to worry about that in heaven. In heaven, you're not going to need to lock your door. In fact, I'm not even sure there's going to be doors in heaven. There'll be no need for policemen or military soldiers or firemen in heaven. You won't need gentlemen that conceal carry license anymore. There'll be no firearms in heaven. There will be nothing to ever be afraid of ever again 
in heaven. Even right now, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. You won't have to worry about terrible and awful diseases in heaven and being afraid of getting that. There won't be none of that in heaven. There'll be no mass in heaven. Not only that, but these verses also announce to us that there will be no death in heaven. Death is indeed the great separator, isn't it? It tears our loved ones away from us and it tears our loved ones away from our kids. We sing that song from time to time, No Tears in Heaven, and what a promise that is. You just stop and think about it. In the life of your children, who have they been separated from? In their lifetime, who has been taken away from them? I wish my girls would have had the opportunity to know their Uncle Ben. My brother Ben was such an amazing and talented person. He was so smart. He was so genuine in his affection and in his care for others. But he was taken away. He was taken away before Hattie or Gertie ever had the opportunity to even meet him. And I hate that. I do. I hate that. But the truth of the matter is, if you live long enough, you're going to lose all your friends and all your family members and all your loved ones. Or they're going to lose you. If Jesus should tarry, we're all going to die. That is the reality of life, Hebrews 9.27 says. We will say goodbye to the people that we love so dearly. In this world, we will shed those salty tears. We will feel the pain when we go and visit their grave at the cemetery. And your kids, your kids know that. And your kids see that. And your kids think about that. And your kids hurt about that. We go from time to time and visit my brother Ben's grave. And Hattie's never even met Ben before. But she feels sadness at the fact that he's gone. And she's coming to realize that more and more and more. And it hurts. But what we want to tell them is that in heaven, we will never be separated by death again. You will never have to go to another funeral in heaven. You will never have to experience grief or loss or even shed a single tear. In heaven, we will never have to say goodbye ever again. And that makes heaven all good all the time. And then furthermore, you won't have to worry about anything in heaven. There will be no worries and no stresses of any kind. Now somebody would maybe think, well, kids, what do kids have to worry about today? Well, kids actually have a lot to worry about. Maybe the things that they worry about, it's not the same things that we worry about as adults, like bills or jobs or deadlines, but kids do have lots that cause them to be anxious about. Whether that's standardized tests or homework, or bullies, or not fitting in with their friends, or will I even have any friends? There's lots going on in the mind and in the life of a child. Lots that they're concerned about. Lots for them to worry about. I love this picture of heaven in Revelation 14. In Revelation 14, look in verse 13. In Revelation 14, verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. I love that idea. Rest. 
The idea that stresses and worries are being taken away so that I can rest. In fact, the Hebrew writer borrows that in Hebrews the fourth chapter, that heaven is going to be like unto the Sabbath, that it will be a rest for God's children. You get to heaven, God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of everything that you will ever need. You're never going to have to worry about being made fun of. You're never going to have to worry about whether you fit in with the cool kids or whether you're ever going to be asked out on a date. There'll be no gossip, no drama, no backbiting, no bullying in heaven. No need to worry about money or about the weather. Is a tornado going to come and rip my house apart? When I was a little kid, I worried about that all the time. It'd start raining outside in the middle of the night and I would sit and my mind would just go in a million directions about a tornado's going to come and rip our house apart. Won't be none of that in heaven. In heaven, it's just rest. Rest in the presence of God for all time. How great is that? I've heard it said before that one of the things that makes hell, hell is the fact that God isn't there. And that means that all of the things that God is, light, joy, grace, mercy, love, all of those things will never be in hell. And that is exactly right. But you know what? The inverse of that is also true. All of that good stuff, the light, the joy, the peace, the grace, the mercy, and the love, those things will be in heaven. And why? Because heaven is God's home, and in that place it's all good all the time. And it is for that reason that Peter says in our opening text that we are looking forward to. We are hastening the day. We are waiting with bated breath for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now I could go on and on. This list could get just longer and longer as we talk about all the great things that are in heaven and what heaven is about. But we do need to be talking about these kinds of things with our kids. We need to talk about heaven, not just whenever we're singing those songs, those wonderful hymns about heaven, or not just when someone dies and in that moment we feel compelled to say some things about heaven. And you know what? We dare not allow Hollywood or popular culture or our society to shape our children's thinking and to feed our children's minds with all kinds of lies about heaven. That heaven is just going to be boring. I mean, all the lame people are going to be up there. Who wants to go there? Or you know, heaven is just standing around on a cloud and holding a heart for all eternity. No! Get your Bible out, mom and dad. Help your kids to look forward to heaven. I believe the Bible shows us exactly how to do that. Because what we want to be able to do and what we want to be able to say to our kids is that the end of our story, it really can read, and they lived happily ever after in the presence of God, with the saved of all time, in heaven. Would you pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God, our Father in heaven, Father, it absolutely thrills our hearts just to say the word and to think about heaven. Father, we are so grateful to you 
for loving us and caring about us enough that you have prepared a place for us that by obedience to your word, by trusting in you, by saving faith, through Jesus Christ and through his perfect blood being shed on our behalf, we can come and be with you someday. Father, we look forward to that. And Father, we pray that you would help us as we guide the hearts and the minds of little children, and as we shepherd their, 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 their thinking and help them to think in a right way about you and about your home. Help us, Father, each day that we might help them to understand that that is a real place, that it's not fictitious. Help us, Father, to impress upon, upon their minds that it is a wonderful place, that you are there, and that we can indeed go there. Father, we pray that you would just bless us as moms and dads and grandmas and granddads and as those who can influence others. Help us in every possible way that we might be able to lead others to you and specifically to lead our children to you so that they can one day come and live with you. We thank you most of all for Jesus that makes all of that possible. We thank you and we praise him for loving us enough that makes possible a way for us to come and to be with you for all of eternity. And it is in the blessed and glorious name of your Son that we pray. And amen.